These messages that I'm going to be preaching for the next several weeks are going to be different than what I preached in the past. I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or not. But, uh, but it's, it's difficult when you know that the time that you have to communicate truth to the people that you've worked with for 20 years is drawing to a close. And so I'm trying to share with you some things that I think are very important. Things that are, that are, that are crucial as far as, as, uh, how we, how we as people view the church that God has given us and, and, and what is, uh, ahead. Um, there's a passage in the Old Testament where Israel is, um, I don't remember all the details right off. I didn't look it up before I came up here this morning, but, but they were entering a different, a different time frame. There were things that were a little different. And, uh, and the scripture says, you have not passed this way heretofore. And, uh, and so you have to look at things from, uh, that perspective. But, uh, but anyway, open your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And, uh, and we're gonna read the entire chapter. And then I wanna give you some context and, 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 and focus specifically on uh, a couple of verses that I think are very, very important. All of them are important, but but are are applicable to the specific situation we have in our church right now. So, First Timothy chapter three, beginning. Uh, we're going to begin reading a moment, verse number one. Uh, Timothy, I'm sure most of you realize, is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Paul trained him. And, uh, and we, we have in our mind, when we look at this sometime, I think we have in our mind this idea that, that the Apostle Paul trained young Timothy and Timothy went in the church and everything was just wonderful. They didn't have any problems at all. Uh, and yet that's not true. It's not logical. It's not reasonable. It's not, uh, uh, you don't anticipate that somebody's going to come into a church. Timothy came to pastor that church. And, uh, and that he had no problems at all. Uh, there obviously were some. And Paul is dealing with some things that are very important here. But let's just read through chapter 3. Verse number 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being filled up, lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let there also, let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. 
Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now Paul has spent these first 13 verses talking about the qualifications of a pastor, the qualifications of a deacon, and even talked a little bit about deacons' wives and that kind of thing. And uh, and there's a reason why he's doing this. Now I want you to notice, beginning in verse number 14, he explains it a little bit. He says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, he said, I'm, 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 my plan is to get there as quick as I can, but I don't know how long it's going to take. And if it takes a little longer than I expect, then I'm writing this to you so that you have this information. But if I tarry long, what is he writing it for? That thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. But I want you to notice verses 14 and 15 specifically. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, we don't know how long at this point Timothy has been pastor at the church of Ephesus. We don't know how long it's been since Paul sent him over there. We just know that it, it happened and and uh, and time passes rather quickly, you know, I mean, 10, 15 years, 20 years, I don't know. You, you, we, there's no way to know exactly when uh, when this was written. But I, I do know, based on what the commentators say, what students or, or theologians say, that the book of Revelation, John wrote the book of Revelation after having been in exile uh, on Patmos for some time in approximately the year A.D. 95. And uh, so... Um, and and Paul, I'm sorry, John writes some things about the church at Ephesus. I want you to notice Revelation chapter 2. If you'll turn there, please, for just a moment. Revelation chapter 2. And I want you to notice what John says in this letter to the church at Ephesus. Now, we, we look at these letters from in, in light of prophecy because the book of Revelation is a book of prophecy. But it was written in a contemporaneous time. And, uh, and I want you to see what John says about the church at Ephesus. And I think it's not unreasonable to assume that this was at the time when Timothy was still the pastor at the church at Ephesus. And notice what, what John says. Under the church of, angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them that say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. Those are all good things. I mean, those are those are good, good things to say about a church. 
that you don't bear those that are evil, that you try people, to, the, the apostles to make sure that, that they are, uh, that they are, are truthful and, and if you find them not, you know that, that kind of thing. Verse three, and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. So they, they were, they were faithful in a lot of areas. But then in verse four, he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. And then he says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of this place except thou repent. So John, in this letter to the church at Ephesus, writing under the inspiration of scripture, at the time, I believe, when Timothy was probably still pastor of the church at Ephesus, says that there's a problem and you've left your first love. And he's encouraging the leader to to repent. Now, the word repent means to change your mind, but it goes beyond that. He says, remember from whence thou art fallen and do the first work. So it's not just change your mind, but go back and, and do the things that you were doing at the beginning that represented, instead of just the activity of the church, it represented, it demonstrated a love for the God that they served that was very obvious. It's easy for a church to get so wrapped up in the programs, the activities, and all that's going on in the church that they forget who they're doing it for. Lester Roloff used to talk about being so in love with the service that you forget who it is you're serving. Your love is for the ministry, for what you're doing, for the activities, for the involvement, for working with people. All those are great things. But the first thing, the thing that is most important is that we remember that we are doing it for our Heavenly Father and we're supposed to love Him. That's the most important thing. We love Him. Everything we do, we do because we love Him. And John said of the church at Ephesus that they had left their first love and that they were doing things that were good, but they weren't doing it the same way that they were in the beginning. Now I want you to turn back again to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to call your attention again to verses 14 and 15. Now, now Paul has spent a great deal of time talking about Again, the, the, the office of a bishop or a pastor, the deacons, that kind of thing. But then he says in verse 14, again, these things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, I may not get there as quickly as I want to. So I'm writing this so that you'll know that, that thou, that, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Now I was curious as to what he meant there. What does he mean when he says how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God? Did that mean he was supposed to be careful about the way he dressed or the way he acted or what he said or what, what is that, what is that talking about? Well, the, 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 the Greek word that is translated behave thyself, the root word of that, of that term actually means to turn around. It means to go back to where you were. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, this is what you need to be aware of. 
Because I may not get there as quick as I want to, but you need to turn around. It's almost the same kind of emphasis that John is making in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, where he says, repent and go back and do the first works. And he's, and so he's saying to, he's saying to Timothy, turn around. This is what you need to do. Turn around. Get, get back where you're, you're supposed to be. And, and then he puts it all in context. He said, because this is what you need to remember. This is how you ought to behave yourself in the, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now here's the point. We at Trinity Baptist Church need to remember who we are as a church and what our emphasis ought to be. We are the house of God. Now when, when, when Paul uses that term, he's not talking about a building. This is very, this is a, a, a beautiful auditorium. I'm very thankful for it. But this auditorium is not the church. The church is the people that are sitting in these seats right now. You folks are the church. That's what constitutes the church. What it's going to be is a consequence of who you are and how you think and what your emphasis is and where your priorities are. That's what's going to determine how things go in this church, in this place. It's the house of God, the church of the living God. Now, I want to emphasize the importance of what Paul is saying here. Because we have a tendency to believe. Well, let me, let me back up a little bit. Years ago, I had a lady who was the wife of a former pastor. She was leaving a service one, one time on Sunday morning. She walked out of the door and, and she was talking to me and she said, you know, I never have been able to understand why God would not bless our little church like he has some of the others. You think that's a valid statement? Why is it that God would not bless Trinity Baptist Church, our little church, our small church, like he has some of the others? What's, what's the, what's the, the comparison that she was making there? She was comparing our church to churches that were bigger, larger churches, churches that had a lot more people. Let me ask you a question. And, and, and here's a flaw in our thinking when we, when we consider the idea of God's blessing on churches. Is a bigger crowd, is the fact that there are hundreds more people meeting in this certain place, is that evidence of God's blessing? And if so, where is it found in scripture that it says that? There's nothing in the Bible that says anything about God blessing business, bigness. There's nothing that talks about, there's no mandate in scripture that says that a pastor is supposed to go out and try to build a big church. Somebody says, well, yeah, but I mean, there were, I look at the day of Pentecost, all those people that got saved. Yeah, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. That was not a, 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 an instruction 
for how somebody, their church is all over the place. We're going to have Pentecost Sunday. And they're going to try to get 5,000 people to be in their church, all this kind of stuff. There's nothing in Scripture that says you're supposed to do that. Pentecost was a one-time circumstance. It was something God did in a very specific time, in a very specific place, for a very specific purpose. It doesn't mean he's going to do that every time a church meets. And please understand that churches are not built into good churches or great churches over a 90-day Sunday school enhancement program where they work so hard to get people to come and they've got all these people there and they say, look what God did. What a, what a wonderful thing that is. No, the way it works is that God works in the hearts of people over time. And God does things in our lives and He changes us. The, the evidence of the fact that a church is what it's supposed to be is that the people in the church are growing. That people are changing. That they're different than they were 20 years ago. And that counts for the pastor too. And it's true in any church. I'm different than I was 20 years ago. And part of the reason I'm different is because of the people that are sitting right here. God has used the people of Trinity Baptist Church to have an impact in my life. And I'm different. I'm, I've, I've changed. And I hope you've changed as well. But the point is, the church of the living God is not just a place where hundreds or even thousands of people meet. And you don't look at it and say, look how God's blessed because there are all those people there. Trinity is not a good church or a great church because of how many people we have here. It's a good church or a great church because of the people who are here and their attitude and what God has done in their lives. And whether or not they love the Lord and whether or not they love one another and whether or not they're serving the Lord and whether or not they're doing what God intends for them to do. And, and we've got all kinds of things, mindsets about what a good Christian is even. A good Christian looks like this and he acts this way and he talks this way and he only goes to these places and he does this and he does that and he does all these different things. And yet the truth is every person is an individual. And they all have different personalities. And my personality is not the same as Skip's. And Skip's isn't the same as Brian's. And Brian's not the same as Bob's. And everybody's different. And thank the Lord, none of them is the same as Larry's. <laughs> but I say that, I say that in a positive way. Because Larry has a different personality and he adds to what this church is. And that's the way it's supposed to be. There is no mold that you put people in that determines whether or not they're what they ought to be. It has to do with what we are, what, what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. So here's, here's the point. I want you to understand and I want you to remember that Trinity Baptist Church is the house of God. The church of the living God. And I've had people say over recent days, you know, and we talk about different things. And Brian talked about, about, uh, new pastors coming. We need to be able to support him. And that's true. And that's right. And I'm 
believe the Lord will provide that means. I mean, He's done it for 20 years. I'm here and the Lord's taking care of us. It's because of the generosity of the people at Trinity Baptist Church. I, a small church. How in the world do they support a preacher? Well, they support a preacher like any other church does. By trusting God. And God fills the need. God takes care of that. And so the size of the church, don't, don't look at the size of Trinity Baptist Church and, and have a, a mindset like the lady I was talking about who says, I wonder why God doesn't bless our church. I hope that you don't look at our church and think God hasn't blessed our church. God has blessed Trinity Baptist Church in some wonderful ways. And, uh, and we need to be very, very thankful, thankful for that. And there's no, there is no indication or no reason to think that he will not continue to do that in the days ahead. I've said this and I believe it. I think the best days of Trinity Baptist Church are yet ahead. You have to believe that. Otherwise, you're walking without any faith. If you look at it and you say, well, Pastor Hyman's leaving and this new pastor's coming in. I don't know him and I'm not sure about all that. And I don't know, it doesn't look like things are, you know, it's going to change and I don't know if I like it or what. That's not the way to look at it. Look at it from the perspective of the fact that God's moving the next step for our church. And there are great days ahead. And God's going to do, I believe, wonderful things at Trinity Baptist Church. Remember, this is His church. It's not dependent upon who is here or who is not here. When I first came, we were here for, I don't know, six months or so. I don't remember the exact timing. But, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and when I came, there were 11, 11 voting members here. But, uh, when I came, we had, there was one man that was in the church who worked on the base and his salary was greater than anybody else's in the church and over half of our offering came from him. And about six months in, he got mad and left. And all of a sudden, our offering, not that it was way up here to start with, but, but, uh, but I mean, what was there was cut in half and, and we wondered what was going to happen. And, and my, my attitude was it doesn't matter who comes or who goes. The one who is in control is still right where he's always been. And it's not, it was not my church. It, it, it was, it's God's church and we were his people. Please understand, I am a fellow believer. I'm a Christian, just like every one of you are, and I am a fellow member of Trinity Baptist Church. And and I just happen to be the one that God has put in a position to provide leadership. And I've tried to do that as the Lord has led, but I'm not. I'm not the end all and be all of what is going to happen at Trinity. And I haven't I haven't taken that approach here. I don't know how many times we've talked about different things and Brian said, well, Pastor, why don't you think about doing it this way instead? And so we do it dif- this way instead. You know, and, and Skip instead. I mean, you know, we've had discussions like that, and, and that's the way it's supposed to work. But the point is, this is his church. And he cares about it. And it is not insignificant. It's important 
You say, well, we don't, we just have a handful of people. Well, this is more than a handful, handful. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many there are. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together in His name, that there He is in the midst of them. And God is here with us. And if there's only two or three here, God is here with us. And it is His church. And we are His people. And we work together. We operate as a group together. And so, I want to give you five things very quickly. We're not take a long time with these, but five things that are true of this church and that are true of every genuine church that you find. And, it, and none of them has to do with how big the crowd is. None of them has anything to do with how many programs you have or how much money they have or any of those kinds of things. They're all biblical foundational things. So, so number one, this church is built on a divine foundation. The foundation of this church is divine. Look at verse number 16. Paul says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received into glory. Now who is that talking about? Who is the person that's involved in that passage, that, that verse? What is he talking about? God was manifest in the flesh. Who is that? That's Christ. He was justified in the Spirit, seed of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received into glory. That's talking about Jesus Christ. Our, our foundation is Christ. We sing the song, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the foundation of this church. And, 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 and you need to remember that. Number two, a designated form. God has given a form for the church in scripture. You read the book of Ephesians and it, and it goes through one, one, one faith and one baptism and one heart, one spirit, one vision, all those things found in Ephesians chapter four. And we've talked about them in the past, but that's, that's the form of the church. That's how God has established it, the way it's supposed to work in organization, operation, all of those things. And by the way, the church is a living organism. It's not, it's not just an organization. It's a living organism. And, and, and God, Christ is the one who provides that, that, uh, that, uh, that life. But a divine foundation, a designated form, a distinct function. So what is the purpose of the church? Well, according to Ephesians chapter 4, it's to prepare men and women to do the work of the ministry. In other words, we have a responsibility to do the work of the ministry, which is to try to persuade men and women to be reconciled unto God. That's the function of the church. That's what we're here for. That's what the Bible says we're supposed to be doing. It's not we're supposed to be providing every need that every family has for their kids and all this kind of stuff. We're supposed to be preparing men and women to do the work of the ministry. That's the responsibility of the church, for us to grow and become a testimony to 
to share the light of the gospel with those that are lost. Paul said that we're to let our light so shine that others may may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Our works ought to point others to the Savior. So divine foundation, which is Christ, a designated form, which is meeting together like we're meeting to to grow spiritually, a distinct function, which is to prepare prepare believers to do the work of the ministry. And then number four, it's built on a deliberate faith. In other words, we believe on purpose. It's not, it's not an accidental thing that we choose to believe that God is going to do what he said. We, we treat faith as if it's something that we just kind of get by osmosis. But the Bible says that we are to walk by faith and we are to live by faith. It gives us a clear definition of what faith is. And faith in its simplest form is a willingness to see things from the perspective of the reality that God is in charge. So we look at circumstances in our life. We have a bad thing happen in our life and we look at that. And instead of looking at the problem, we see through the problem by faith under the one who's in control. And that helps us to trust him. We look at the future of Trinity Baptist Church and we look through the portal of the change in leadership. And we look at the one who is in control of what's going on. That's our faith. And our church is built on a deliberate faith. We choose to exercise that faith. It's not something that just happens. We choose. It doesn't matter what we see or how we feel. What matters is who we're watching, who we're looking at. And God is in control. We can trust him, and he will take care of the situation. A divine foundation, a designated form, a distinct function, a deliberate faith, And number five, a definite family. We're in this together. We're all part of of what goes on here at Trinity Baptist Church. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is true with every person in this building that knows the Lord. And we together as a church face what comes as a family. And and please remember, and and this is uh, so many churches that have gotten off of this, and things are there's a there's a rift that shouldn't be there. Somebody gets sideways with somebody else in the church, and you have problems, and you say, "Well, I don't agree with that," and everybody else agrees we ought to do it this way. I don't agree with that. Well, in a family, you don't say, "Well, I'm leaving. Forget it. Get done with it, and go on do your thing." I'm not. I'm not having any part of that. You don't. You don't do that unless it's a doctrinal issue or something, something extremely a moral issue or something like that. Instead, in a family, you work together and say, okay, that's not what I would do right now, but that's all right. You know, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and you move forward. Husbands and wives who understand how a family works are able to endure and live together for their entire lives because they understand that everybody doesn't have to have their own way all the time. That's what a family does. That's how a family works. In our church, is a family. 
That's part of the way God intended it. Uh, and God wants us to be able to get along. And so everything doesn't go exactly the way that we want it to. Everything hasn't gone in every situation exactly the way I wanted it to over the last 20 years. But we're, we've worked together and worked through situations where things were, we had different opinions or whatever. And the church has gone forward because it's his church. It's not so much about us. It is about us in the, from the perspective of what God's doing in our lives. But what this church is and what it becomes and how it, how it functions is far more about who he is than it is about who we are. And it's important that we understand that. Please don't ever get to the place where you think that Trinity Baptist Church, the church of which you are a member, is an insignificant thing. It's not. It's a very important part of God's plan for what happens on this earth. And if you don't believe that, you look back over the last years and, and even, and well before I came, that God has done some tremendous things in this, quote, little church. And, uh, and so, so it's, uh, so much of it has to do with our perspective. And Paul was saying to Timothy, you know, you need to be careful that you don't get your eyes focused in the wrong place. Don't be looking at all of the good things that you do and forget where the foundation is. Paul said, you need to be careful and turn around. That's what that word means, how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, the the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. That's the other thing. We're built on the on the truth of God's word, and that's that's what determines what we do, and and we're supposed to be those who spread the truth and share the truth, and and the Lord knows there's a great need for people to do that in our society today, because people don't even know what truth is anymore. But here, in this in this place, with this book, we have the truth, and the church, this church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And everything we do is supposed to be based on the truth that's found in this book. But this is the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, and this is the assembly for this church at this time. And God's got a purpose for it. And don't ever get to the th- to the place where you think, well, I don't, you know, I don't know what, to, and look, think pessimistically about the future. Because it's not about what we think, it's about what God is choosing to do. And God knows where we are, he knows what's going on, he's got a plan for us, and it's our job simply to walk by faith. Look at the circumstances through the eyes of faith and remember that God's in the one that's in, is the one that's in control. And he's got a plan and purpose for the whole thing. And we can trust him. And do so joyfully, because he's got great things ahead. Let's stand together with his bad eyes closed.